When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Well, good morning. It's great to see you here in the room or online. I'm so happy to be here. And I want us to start talking about, maybe you have a friend like this. I have a friend and his name's Craig and he's my problem solver. You guys have somebody in life that you go with when you have a problem. Well, I do, whether it comes to car, home, leadership, logistics, I go and ask him for help. Let me give you a sense. He helps me do hard things. Um, so four years ago, I was living in the suburbs for 28 years in the very same house, raised my two daughters, and I got this crazy nudge from God to move to the country, to move to three acres in Lawrence. And it was a big thing. There were so many steps to that process. And I was buying and selling a house by myself for the first time. And one of the things I was most afraid of is, and you guys, it's not a seller's market when this is happening. Like you actually have to fix things in your house that are broken. And they do something called an inspection deal. And it was this ginormous um, document. And I got those of you who know me is like, I'm in Enneagram One and I don't like to do things wrong. And this whole inspection report was going to tell me how I have messed up for the last 28 years taking care of this house that I love that I still, you guys, four years, haven't driven by because I'm afraid they've changed something that I really like about my house. So that helps you know about me. So I get it, and I said, Craig, would you look at this and tell me what I should pay attention to? Like, what's the most important? And, and um, he helped me negotiate with the buyer's agent. We figured out what we needed to fix. And I just, like two weeks ago, told him that I was going to tell this story. And I said, hey, guess what? I actually never opened that document. I never read it. And uh, thanks for that. So people can help us do hard things. And, and he and I were talking about hard things, and he told me the story that was so poignant because I could, reg I could really find myself in this guy, Bob, that he was talking to. Bob struggling in his job. His boss is not pleased with him. And Bob calls Craig and says, would you sit down with me and help me figure this out? I, I just, I want to keep my job and I want to make this work. And so Craig does that and he asks questions and he listens and he's known the guy for a long time. And so um, he said, look, I think there are three things you need to do. Here are the three things. And Bob said, wow, like these are really hard things that you're asking me to do. He said, yeah, but you can do this. I know you've got this in you to do this. God's going to help you. You can do it. And Bob was really honest. And he said this, I don't do hard things. I do not do hard things. Craig's like, what? Like humans, as humans, we have to do hard things. Like it's just a part of life. Like 
You've got to put your big boy pants on and do some hard things. Fast forward nine months, and guess what? Bob didn't do the hard things, and he lost his job. So some things are hard, like the inspection thing, that someone else can come along inside and help you do. But some things are hard, and only you can do it. Only you can fix it. And I think most of, our, our, of us are like Bob. We don't, we don't want to do the hard things. We want to stay comfortable. But we can choose to follow God through the hard things. And joy comes on the other side of those hard things. I can relate to Bob of, of avoiding these, like, I know God's nudging me to get outside my comfort zone, to take a risk. And maybe for you, as you think about it, man, I know what my hard thing is, Michelle. I need to be vulnerable and ask for help. I'm fa- I have a failure that I need to acknowledge. I, I need to fix a relationship with God or another person, or I'm, I'm tackling an addiction. And I want to tell you over the last three years about my hard thing, that God's just, man, I'm like, seriously, am I getting a master's in this thing? We just keep bringing this deal up. And I may say it, and you may go, oh, that's not hard, Michelle. That's not hard at all. Um, But let me tell you what it is. Is I have a hard time disagreeing with people and having difficult conversations. I, this may be easy for you. You may be energized if a group of people, a round of table, arguing. Not so much for me. I was raised by two amazing people, and literally when I tell you this, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, I never saw them disagree about anything. Maybe they did it behind closed doors, but one of them always, they just gave in and they were on the same page. And so I watched this people-pleasing and smoothing and changing the topics and, and being liked was really important. And then like the last three years, God's had me have all these hard conversations. And like just telling you it right now makes my stomach hurt a little bit. <laughs> and when I feel like God, like Michelle, you got to go talk to this person and say, hey, I think about this differently. You know what my response is? It's sort of like a two-year-old. Like, no, like, no, I don't want to do that. Could you just fix it for me? And it feels a little bit like I'm going to die inside to do this thing. And so I've been on this journey of learning how to speak up and navigate differences. And so we're going to get back to that in a little bit. But I want you to think about what is your hard thing in your life right now? My guess is that each of us are like Bob, that we have something really hard in our life. And a pastor named John Watson said this, everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. There are hard battles sitting at home and in these blue chairs. Each of us has a hard battle that we just don't know about. There are I don't know if you find, I know Bob must have felt this way. Do you feel about your hard thing like depleted and exhausted and overwhelmed and stuck? That you need to do something new, but it's hard and it's overwhelming and it's going to take so much energy and courage to do it? The good news is we're not alone. And we're in this series called Restoring My Soul. Restoring the Soul. And Hebrew in the Hebrew, the word restore is, is defined this way, make me healthy. Make, isn't that beautiful? 
Like where in your life do you need God to make you healthy? We are not alone. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 126, 126, which has been just, I love the Psalms, but just this spring did I discover this. And this song is a, a psalm of ascent, and the Jewish people would sing this at festivals and celebrations like Passover or the Feast of Weeks or the Festival of Tabernacles, and it was this community lament. And it starts as this reminder for the Jewish people who had been through a really difficult season, 60 years of following God in a hard thing. They were they were conquered by the Babylonians and they were forced from their homes and they were forced, conquered, and into exile. And when I was reading this passage, I was thinking, maybe, I don't know, did the Israelites feel like the Ukrainians feel right now? Who are devastated by law. We get to see the pictures and videos of this, of the destruction and the death and the pain. They have an unknown future. They've lost their family members, they've left their homes and their jobs and their possessions, and their home is no longer their home, and every single day has spent doing hard things. And that's what it was like for the Jewish people for 60 years. 60 years. But then God rescues them, and the Persians defeat the Babylonians. They followed God through the hard thing, and it produced this joy. I don't think any of us, most of us don't have anything that's on the caliber of being conquered and forced into exile. But that doesn't mean your hard thing, the pain that you're going through right now, isn't hard. It's not a pain competition. The Psalms are full of these laments of people crying out to God. And I read a commentary that, that summarized the Psalm saying, a joy remembered and a joy anticipated. Anticipated. And the Jewish people are remembering this time in this past where God has helped them walk through this really hard thing and there's been joy. And you know what they're saying? We need you to do it again, God. We need you to do it again. And the passage starts like this When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with sounds of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. We can be reminded that joy rarely happens on the easy side of things, does it? Easy things produce happiness, and we all like happiness. But joy, unfortunately, is often on the side, other side of hard things. Maybe unfortunately, and way to go, God, that there can be joy through the hard thing. So I want us to think about a joy remembered, where God has done a great thing for us. I don't know if you find it this way, but when my life is going easy, I don't celebrate with God the great things he's doing. Like, if it's easy, it's like, yeah. But when it's hard, and I see him showing up and helping me take step by step through the hard thing, it's an opportunity to see the greatness of God, of how he's helped us overcome challenges, take risks, be courageous, grieve losses, make new relationships, tackle an addiction. 
When March 2020 hit, the whole planet was thrown into a hard thing. It was a worldwide lament. On March 8th, 2020, on this stage, we had a normal service with kids and students, the whole deal. One week later, our Creative Hearts team, all the volunteers had to figure out, how do we do this when we can't be in the building? And we got to watch it on these things. They were amazing. But you guys, like as a church and as a part of the leadership of Heartland, we planned for many catastrophes. We never planned for the fact that what do we do if we can't meet? And so... It was hard. It was hard. And at one very early on overwhelming and discouraging day, I felt a nudge from God that he reminded me about a joy remembered. And I felt like he was saying, remember, remember you and I have gone through hard things in the past. You followed me through that step by step. And there was joy on the other side of this. I am with you now. I was with you then. I will never leave you. Keep following me day by day, Zoom call after Zoom call. Keep showing up. And he reminded me of the four years that I walked with my mom who, who had Alzheimer's. And one of the hardest parts of this was when she didn't know she had cognitive impairment, but everybody around her did. And I was getting lots and lots of calls. And how did I do this? How did I treat her with respect and keep her safe and gradually lose her bit by bit? But I followed God and he helped me do the hard things. And remember, I don't like to do hard conversations and I had to be a part of telling my mother that she couldn't drive, she couldn't pay her bills, she couldn't live alone, which made her very angry and scared. FYI, nobody wants their grown-up children telling them what to do. So get, get an expert to help you have those conversations, but those were so hard. She was so mad at me. And God healed and restored my soul, and he made me healthy in ways I didn't think possible. And you know what? He gave mom and I some joyful, we always could connect, even at the end when she didn't have words. We could laugh and we could, I could tell her stories and she responded to music. And he gave us these amazing resources of healthcare professionals and friends and family who walked alongside us through this long goodbye. And so when COVID hit, God reminded me of this joy, a joy remembered that we did hard things together. Has there been a hard thing in your life where God has made you healthy? Is there a joy remembered when God did great things through a hard thing? Maybe it wasn't the outcome you hoped for, but God restored you and on the other side of that hard thing was joy and laughter. Maybe you had the courage to do something new and scary or pursue a new race, relationship or work on a weakness or find a new job or go back to school. It is good for our souls to remember the joys that God, that doing the hard things with God and remembering those joys. That we can follow him through the hard things and there's joy on the other side. And I have an assignment for you today. I want you to share with somebody what is a joy remembered. It is a gift to our soul when we do that for ourselves and other people. Let's turn back to the psalm. And here's what he's saying. They're, they, they're, they've remembered and now they're like, Restore our fortunes, lords, like the stream in Negev. 
And so what they're saying is, okay, now, right now, we need you to do it again. And Negev was this place that could get really dry and arid and, you know, dusty in the summer. But winter brought this rain, all these rains, and it changed the landscape. And the psalm continues to say this, and this is my favorite part. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping will carry seed to sow and will turn, return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. I'm a gardener, so like I get this metaphor with seeds. And the psalmist, psalmist is talking about these little, think about how small a seed is. And one of those little seeds can result in a sheave of um, Look at all that from one, like one seed, all that grain and wheat or whatever that thing is, um, <laughs> happens. And to me, in this text, it talks about the seeds are our tears. And for me, the tears are our feelings and our emotions. Sometimes when we're not even aware of our emotions, they're so deep, they're unconscious. But when you were going through hard things, how do you nurture and care for those seeds? How do you manage those feelings? Just like plants need water and fertilizer and the right amount of sun, there are three things that can help us follow God and increase joy through the hard things. And the first one is to integrate our, feeling and think, our feelings and our thinking. One of my all-time favorite writers is Shauna Nequist, and she writes it this way. I have a long-held belief that one's tears are a guide, and then when something makes you cry, it means something. If we pay attention to our tears, they show us something about ourselves. And often when we experience a feeling or emotion that's intense, we feel it in our body, don't we? Like me, it's my gut or my, my, my chest gets tight. And I have to tell you, there are two extremes with feelings. On one end, you can just like, and I want to do this, like run away from even thinking about that feeling, distract myself, do not even acknowledge that it's happening. Or the other extreme is I sit in the feeling, I'm I'm listening, but then I get overwhelmed with it. Like the emotional reactivity is so high, like I bypass my brain, like my neocortex. I'm so focused on the feeling. And I think it's, it's the tightrope in, in, in the middle where we're informed by our feelings, but we think about them. We, we don't let the emotions run the show because feelings can... God gave us feelings for a reason, and they can tell us important information. But we want to practice being informed by our feelings, not by run by them. And Romans 12:2 says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And then you will learn to know that God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so God wants us to integrate our feelings with our thinking. And when you read about Jesus in scripture, you see that he experienced lots of feelings, pain and sorrow and joy and grief and frustration with those disciples and other people and the religious leaders. But he chose not to let those emotions run the show and to be transformed by the renewing of his mind. And like Jesus, we can practice this. Integrating your thinking and, and th feeling does not happen overnight, you guys. We have to practice. 
And so when I feel a feeling very intensely, I try to sit down with and write, because I'm a writer, and I will try to to listen to my feelings and write about them, but also write about what else is going on in my life. If I've had three nights of interrupted sleep because a dog keeps waking me up and something hard happens, I'm not up being my best self because I didn't get enough sleep. But what else is going on in my family? What else is going on in my work system? And I write out, what do I know to be true? What assumptions I'm making about other people that I really don't know. I'm just making up these stories. I don't know if you guys do this about other people, but I do. And I think about, God, help me use, be informed by my feelings, but not let them run the show. God can right-size our feelings, you guys, to be informed by them, but not overwhelmed. And this important skill and practice of integrating your feeling and thinking is actually covered in emotionally healthy spirituality. Guess what? You can take this class on Tuesday. You can stay in your soft, comfy clothes and do it at home at 8 p.m. on Tuesdays through the end of July. And it was a game changer for me, you guys. I highly recommend it. The second thing in terms of... um, how we can follow God through hard things is to keep trying daily. Once again, it's Shauna, whose new book, you guys, got to read it. I've read it and listened to it. I loved it so much. The healing is in the trying, and resilience is simply getting back up. Healthy and whole people don't become healthy and whole on accident. It's because they make small daily choices that build on each other. They do something every day, step by step. I mean, that's what AA or NA, one day at a time. They're just get up and be sober, make the choice today. And so we can follow him. And I think about my mom's deal every day. It was like, okay, Lord, what do I have to do today in terms of caring for mom? And the last thing might surprise you because often in a hard thing, you don't have a lot of energy, but it's serving. Um, I get to most Sundays serve with three and four-year-olds. And I have to tell you that often when I walk into this building, the last thing I want to do is smile and be with kids because I have an adult-size hard thing that I'm thinking about, and they don't understand what I'm up against. But do you know what happens every time I serve other people? When I step in with tears, I step out with joy. I get that... I get into that classroom and we always do the craft together. It's the only, I love crafts, only time during the week, my week that I do crafts. I'm very good at them. Um, I get to connect with my friend Giselle because we serve together. And you guys, if you want to see about joy, come hang out with us with kids. When we get that bubble machine going, I'm telling you, but they are so excited about, they're easily delighted. And as we become grown-ups, we are not easily delighted. But kiddos are, whether it's answering a question or learning about the Bible story. And, you know, they're just amazing. And so I want to tell you about one of my friends, Rhett, who's four. And um, back in May, in front of like 20, 25 kids and grown-ups, he stood up and had memorized every day of creation and what God made every day. And we cheered, and it was awesome. But when I told his mom, she got teared up. Because this was a really hard thing for Red to do. You know why? Because he's really shy and reserved. 
And I was a part, we were a part, his parents were a part of helping him do a hard thing. Was serving, when things were the hardest with my mom, serving gave me a distraction from how hard it was. It was a life preserver, a distraction from my own pain. It shifted the focus off me and it provided joy. And if you're thinking, yeah, Michelle, I want to serve. I don't know how to do that. We have this magical thing that you take a picture of, and it jumps you to a form that's an I want to serve form. And around Heartland, we really value you serving in your sweet spot. My sweet spot is three, four, and five-year-olds, but what's yours? And Janine Frost will help you walk through that. So when we're doing hard things, integrating our feeling and thinking, um, trying each day and serving will help us increase um, will help us follow God and increase our joy. So with plants, you can also mess up. You can do things that don't help them grow, like don't give them enough water, don't give them enough sunlight, forget to use the miracle grow. Those things don't help them grow. There are three things that can distract me when I'm following God and decrease my joy. And the first one is passivity. We can be like Bob and embrace not doing the hard thing. And I got to tell you, sometimes I'm passive about things. He didn't engage his agency, which means um, to, you, we each have capacity to act and exert power. And the next thing, the second thing is venting emotions. And this is a neuroscientist, Jill Schutte, which I've been afraid that I was going to mispronounce. So I'm very excited I said that right. It turns out that the emotional venting doesn't soothe anger but it increases anger. We always think, oh, venting is gonna help, but no, it doesn't. That's because encouraging people to act out their anger makes them relive it in their bodies, and it strengthens the neural pathways for anger. It makes it easier to get angry the next time around. Studies on venting anger, whether online or verbally, have also found it to be generally unhelpful. It does not help to vent. And for me, when something hard happens and my feelings are overwhelmed, I only choose like two to three people. And I, I try to do it, and I try to bring not just the feelings, but the facts. And one of those person, people is a counselor. I don't rehearse it with everybody. Okay, I did rehearse it with everybody when I was in my 20s. Not helpful. Actually makes it worse, telling everybody how hard it is. And the last one, I'm embarrassed to admit, is bitterness. We can let bitterness grow. Here's how it can, could unfold. Um, something at work, something in my family um, happens that I disagree with. I think it's the wrong thing to do, the wrong plan. I share my thinking, but it doesn't change the outcome. And for that bitter, bitterness to grow, I just keep rehashing and rehearsing it. I talk to other people about it in my head. I'm just saying, I can't believe they did blank. What a moron. I don't honor the decision that was made and move on. Instead, I don't let it go. And that bitterness is like this ugly weed that grows, and it grows into cynicism and resentment and a snarkiness that wounds people, and it's an overall disgruntledness. And when this happens, the negative emotions are running the show, and my brain is not engaged. And honestly, it's not fun to be me, and it's not fun to be around me. 
So these three things, passivity, venting, and bitterness, distract me from following God and decrease my joy. And I, I want to end by telling you a story of one of the hard things, um, hard conversations that I had uh, that was very much a surprise. I was in Florida um, in February visiting my aunt and my cousin, and I'd gotten up early, and I had my coffee, and I had my coconut bai, which was my favorite beverage, and I was there, and I had my journal, and I was reading and writing and talking to God, and it was beautiful. And this older gentleman comes by, and he says... He was very friendly and strikes up conversation. He asked me about a shirt that I'm wearing, and I said, oh, I'm a pastor at church in Olathe, Kansas. And he was like, I have some questions for you. And uh, he sits down, and uh, I discover that he um, is a Christ follower, which is awesome. And I also discover that he has a different theology than I do or we have around here at Heartland, which is that he doesn't think women should teach, lead, preach, or pastor at the church. Okay, three years ago, you know what old Michelle would have done as I'm facing this? She would have said, you know what, I gotta go. I got it. it was great to talk to you, have a great day, and I would have just left. Or I would have changed the subject. Hey, tell me about your kids and your grandkids, and where do you, what do you love to do in, in uh, Florida? Where should we go eat? I did not do that, because God had worked with me and on being able to have a holy confidence and say, you know what, I disagree with you. And here's why. Here's how I think about that. And so what, it ended up not being really a dialogue as much as he began to lecture me about his thinking. And I had this moment where I said to him, hey, I'm not having fun anymore. And I'm going to get back to my book, and I'm going to let you get back to your day. I didn't say it angrily or mean, but I was really clear. And that was different for me. And that night, we celebrated. I was I told my family the story. They were like, way to go, Michelle. And there was such joy in the holy confidence, you guys, to share what I think about something. And so the end of this psalm it says this, but we'll return with songs of joy and we'll carry these sheaves with them. This is a promise of a joy anticipating that the weeping that we're in in our hard thing remains for a night, but the joy will come in the morning. And so let me tell you how this, a little practice that I've had lately over the last three years each time that I know that I'm going to have to have a hard conversation with someone that I feel like, you know, I'm being nudged to do, I pray a song that's been an anthem for me. Um, it helps remind me that I can follow God through hard things. And in this lyrics, they say this, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. It reminds me that joy, the joy anticipated is much more significant than whatever feelings of anxiety and fear I have. It encourages me and it encourages us to believe, to do this day after day, to keep following God through the hard thing. I believe this for me and I believe this for you. I believe this is true. Joy comes on the other side of doing the hard thing as we follow God and he equips us 
to make it through. Will you follow him with your hard thing today?